Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Censored, the podcast where I drag smutty subtexts of banned books kicking and screaming into the light. I'm Aoife Vrtnach, and I'll be your guide in this odyssey through historic smut. From fluff to classics, I will read them all. No genre is too highbrow or too lowbrow for me. The book for this episode is Joseph Heller's Catch-22, published in 1961 and banned in Ireland in 1962. While Ireland banned the book, Catch-22 topped the UK bestseller list just weeks after publication. This golf in reading experience made Ireland seem pretty bizarre to British observers. When the BBC's Panorama came to Dublin in 1965 to do a special report on Irish censorship, the reporter chose Catch-22 as an example of a banned book. British viewers must have been surprised that such a non-controversial, widely read book was forbidden. Heller's book wasn't legally available in Ireland until 1974, when the Prohibition Order expired. But here's an interesting fact. The book was so influential that the phrase Catch-22, which we all use today, was in general usage by 1963, just two years after publication. Is it possible that Irish people had started to say Catch-22 before they'd even read the book? So was the Irish censor once again seeing smut where there was none? In previous episodes, I've had to search hard for implied smut. But at last, I'm reading a book that contains explicit content. Heller's work is the first American 1960s book I've discussed. And because I don't know a lot about this era, I've roped in a guest who does. Dr. Sinead McEnany works in the Open University and researches the 60s in the United States, with a particular focus on the politics of protest. And Sinead has read the book, which is more than I've done. I tried, I really did, but I could only manage a third. Now, because I was reading an e-book this time, there are no page numbers in this episode. I will refer to chapters instead. To be honest, if you use an e-book, you can just search for rude bits by keyword, which rather takes the fun out of reading for smut, doesn't it? Gone are the days of checking library books for well-thumbed pages or broken spines, caused by the reading and re-reading of smutty sections. The alcoholic beverage of choice in this book is wine, fitting for a book set in Italy. However, drinking in Catch-22 isn't as important as eating, 
and I remember the food consumed much better than the booze. The canteen, or mess facilities, are an important subplot, though it's hard to divide the narrative into main plots or subplots because the story twists and loops back on itself all the time. Nevertheless, the food provided by Milo, who's not actually the mess officer, is pretty memorable. Milo runs a black market operation facilitated by senior officers who allow him to borrow a plane to fly to Sicily and Malta to buy food. Major de Coverley allows this because he has been seduced by the sight of a hard-boiled egg. Milo's promises of unlimited eggs and unlimited butter get him a plane and the mess is soon full of eggs. After reading this excerpt from chapter 13, I had a serious craving for fried eggs. The smell of a fresh egg snapping exotically in a pool of fresh butter carried a long way on the Mediterranean trade winds and brought General Dreedle racing back with a voracious appetite, accompanied by his nurse, who accompanied him everywhere, and his son-in-law, Colonel Modus. Milo's planes shuttled back and forth seven days a week as every officer in the four squadrons began devouring fresh eggs in an insatiable orgy of fresh egg eating. General Dreedle devoured fresh eggs for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Between meals he devoured more fresh eggs until Milo located abundant sources of fresh veal, beef, duck, baby lamb chops, mushroom caps, broccoli, South African rock lobster tails, shrimp, hams, puddings, grapes, ice cream, strawberries and artichokes. Soldiers will always prefer fresh food, freshly cooked, to regulation rations. But because of the huge army bureaucracy, only subterfuge and smuggling could supply it. As with everything in this book, Heller is using eggs and food to make a satirical point about military life. There are no redundant pretty descriptions or literary flourishes in this book. Obviously, he can use food to set an atmosphere. That frying egg is remarkably evocative. But that's not his primary intention. Heller's food porn is satirical rather than carnal. So if you drink your wine and eat your egg sandwich with a quirked eyebrow, you'll be getting into the spirit of the book. But enough about food. You want to know why it was banned. This is a first for my podcast so far, but Joseph Heller's Catch-22 was banned because of the first line. Or perhaps more properly, the first two lines. The first two lines are as follows. It was love at first sight. The first time Yossarian saw the chaplain, he fell madly in love with him. An Irish censor would freak out that a man fell in love with another man. That the love object was a chaplain would be even more sacrilegious. If they had bothered to read beyond page one, they would have learnt that the chaplain was a married Anabaptist, not a celibate Roman Catholic. But I don't think that would have consoled them much, since the deeply Catholic censors didn't care much for Protestant ministers. I honestly don't think the censors read beyond this page. But the love affair between two men does not materialise. Sorry to disappoint. Yossarian falls desperately in love with lots of people, by the way. It's a part of his character. The rest of the first chapter is neither rude nor smutty, but it features an extended satire on censorship that would certainly have ruffled the censors' feathers. The overt political criticism in the book is first directed at censorship as an idea and a system. While he is confined to his hospital bed, Yossarian is told to censor soldiers' letters. He protests against this by making ridiculous choices. 
One day, he blanks out all the words apart from the romantic ones. Another, he deletes everything but a, an, and the. He signs his work with a fictitious name, sometimes Washington Irving or Irving Washington. I think we can be sure that Poe-Face censors, who saw themselves as guardians of public morality, would not have enjoyed this satire. However, if you read beyond the first chapter, there was lots of smut that could have caught the censor's eye. I found this quite hilarious part in Chapter 8, concerning Lieutenant Scheisskopf and his wife. And yes, Scheisskopf translates literally as shithead. Lieutenant Scheisskopf is obsessed with parades and spends most of his free time practicing parade drills, marching orders, either with toy soldiers or, in this case, with his wife. One evening, he felt the need for a live model and directed his wife to march around the room. Naked? she asked hopefully. Lieutenant Scheisskopf smacked his hands over his eyes in exasperation. It was the despair of Lieutenant Scheisskopf's life to be chained to a woman who was incapable of looking beyond her own dirty sexual desires to the titanic struggles for the unattainable in which noble men could become heroically engaged. Why don't you ever whip me? she pouted one night. Because I haven't the time, he snapped at her impatiently. I haven't the time. Don't you know there's a parade going on? Obviously, sexually expressive women were censor-worthy, even if their nymphomaniac tendencies were annoying rather than hot. Before I go any further, I should get Sinead to explain what a Catch-22 actually is. We use the phrase all the time. Not many authors have been absorbed into popular culture as successfully as Heller was. The Catch-22 dilemma is laid out clearly in Chapter 5. It's about this being stuck in the army. So if you're in the military, you're crazy. If you want to leave the military, you have to ask. But if you ask, then by default, you're not crazy. Therefore, you should stay. So by requesting to leave, you are in fact ensuring that you're going to stay. There's no escape from this dilemma. No choice makes sense. The soldiers are caught in the tentacles of an absurd system. I think many dilemmas in the book are catch-22s. The narrative is a series of episodic, endless catch-22s. Even the women, who are civilians outside the army's bureaucratic nightmare, are trapped by impossible, irreconcilable choices. For them, sex is a catch-22, as Sinead explains. One of the characters towards the end of the book, Luciana, starts talking to Yossarian about her own version of Catch-22, where she says she can't get married because she's not a virgin. Nobody will marry her. Yossarian then says he'll marry her. And she says, well, I can't marry you because if you want to marry me, you must be crazy and I shouldn't marry a crazy man. And that's a Catch-22. So, you know, there's there are all these kinds of discussions around female sexuality that are built into the notion of Catch-22. So sex is inextricably linked to the foundation of the narrative, the Catch-22 itself. And the sex in question is mostly sex work. Had the censors gotten beyond the first chapter, they would have found the book's many references to sex work intolerable. But I think Sinead is right to insist that this material is not titillating, because it's important to the plot, convoluted and all as it is. 
there's a lot of prostitution in this. So that's another square on your um, smut bingo uh, thing. So, um, you know, some of the main characters are prostitutes. And even though they don't already always have names of their own, they are still main characters. Quite a lot of the movement in the novel happens in brothels. So things that move the narrative forward often revolve around activities in brothels, uh, relationships with people in brothels. You wouldn't read this as a 14-year-old boy uh, or indeed a 14-year-old girl and think, oh, I'm really excited to read that bit. Like all the sex is unlikable, just like the characters. None of it is particularly romantic. None of it is explicit enough for it to be pornographic. It's very rarely gratuitous, actually, even the very uncomfortable stuff. You know, there is a point behind it. There is a there is a purpose to the discussion of sex. But I'd like to turn to a piece from Chapter 21 about one of the rare women in the army, Colonel Dreedle's nurse. Now, she's described as, quote, as delectable a piece of ass as anyone who saw her had ever laid eyes on, unquote. And here's the description of this woman from the perspective of Yossarian, who, guess what, had fallen madly in love with her. General Dreedle's nurse was only a little chubby, and his senses were stuffed to congestion with the yellow radiance of her hair and the unfelt pressure of her soft, short fingers, with the rounded, untasted wealth of her nubile breasts in her army pink shirt that was opened wide at the throat, and with the rolling, ripened, triangular confluences of her belly and thighs in her tight, slick, forest-green gabardine officer's pants. He drank her in insatiably from head to painted toenail. So we join Yasarian in perving over this nameless, silent woman in her too tight uniform, and it feels kind of gross. It then gets even stranger because Yasarian starts moaning, or rather saying, ooh. Then the ooh sound spreads throughout the rest of the men, and the meeting descends into chaos. The point here is that Yasarian's crazed, desire fueled moans puncture the authority of senior officers who lose control of the men and themselves. I feel slightly grubby after reading about the nurse's fleshy body, because she is nothing but an object. But many of the characters are objects. They are being manoeuvred to make a point, to tell us something about bureaucracy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, you may have noticed I have not summarized the content of the book in a pithy two to three sentences early on in this episode. I honestly couldn't boil the plot down like that because I didn't understand it. That's not because it's a badly written book. Actually, it's pretty amazing in parts. And so it should be. It took eight years to write. But for me, reading it went something like this. Stage one. Yes, I like this. I'm caught up in the story and the people. It's quite amusing. Stage two. Oh, I have no idea what's going on now. Whatever, it's still sharp and funny. Stage three. Right, I don't like these people. Stage four. God, this new chapter is so confusing. And why is everyone so horrible? I'll do something else now. Anything else. This four-stage process was repeated each time I picked up the book. This bothered me because Catch-22 is a part of many school curricula in the US and has been for decades. Thousands and thousands of teenagers are asked to read this book. And I asked Sinead if my experience was typical yeah, it's quite a difficult book to read. Um, it's it's quite there. The characters are really unlikable. The main character Yosarian is really unlikable. You never really know where he is. It's quite a disjointed book. It's quite uh, it's, it flits from one set of time frames to another. Uh, the, the characters aren't terribly well developed. The vast there's a whole lot of characters in this book, um, and some of them appear. Uh, you know, are really well-rounded uh, in the way that they're described, but some of them appear uh, in and out of chapters, and they're very much window-dressing, they're very minor characters. And it's quite difficult to keep track of who is who and who's doing what, when. Uh, so I think that makes the book quite difficult to read. But I think if, you, if you're coming at this from the perspective of a school teacher, the book raises all kinds of themes that can be analysed you know, in, in quite a lot of detail, themes that relate not only to literary um, criticism, but the thing that interests me is the historical contextuality of the book. The interesting thing about Catch-22 as a school textbook is that it has been the focus of censorship in the American public school system. It's listed as number seven in the Dangerous Modern Library list of controversial banned books. So I asked Sinead to explain the centrality of Catch-22 to the censorship debate in America. The book is, is banned in lots of different places. Um, so it was banned in Ireland, all right, but it was also banned in specific school districts in the US when it, when it became so famous that school boards sought to put it on the curriculum for high school English. And in fact, it was a very famous uh, anti-censorship case in uh, 1976, overturning a ban in Ohio on this book. And the reason that the Ohio, the Strongsville, Ohio schools, school board said that the book should be banned 
uh, was because of the uh, discussion about sex work and the kind of implicit violence uh, right through the book. They said, said it was just wholly unsuitable for teenagers to be reading. Um, and they weren't the only place where the book was, was banned. There were lots and lots of districts uh, across the United States that banned the book. But almost every single high school student in the United States now reads this book. It's nice to know that Ireland wasn't the only place where censors objected. The sexual content was certainly a reason for its banning in American schools, but the criticism of American conduct in World War II and the determined attempt by Heller to tarnish the heroic image of the GI was also important. He pointed out that the army actively harmed its own men, that soldiers raped and murdered civilians they were supposed to be liberating, that corruption, stupidity and lunacy was the hallmark of commanding officers. While Irish censors found the smut unacceptable, the political edge to Catch-22 was much more important for American readers. I suppose you're wondering if I'd recommend reading a book I couldn't even finish. I admit it's a thought-provoking book, and Sinead insists that it's historically important for lots of reasons. The, the reviews of Catch-22 when it came out were very mixed, um, but I think, you know, over the years it has been recognised as a pretty important literary work. As I say, it's one of the first of this genre that becomes quite uh, accepted in the way that we uh, think about satire with this centrality of this anti-hero criticising or looking at the absurdity of the world around him. It's also a really good insight into the historical context of the 50s and the 60s. Um, it's a really good way of understanding censorship, um, both in terms of the content of the book and also in terms of the historical period that it's produced in. So again, if you think about the context of the 1950s, McCarthyism in the United States, President Eisenhower very famously gave a speech to Dartmouth College uh, students, encouraging them to resist censorship at the same time as, as Heller was working on this book. So the theme of censorship for Heller is very central, and the way that this book comments on censorship is also quite interesting. At last, it's time for my favourite part of an episode, Censorship Bingo. I'm very pleased that I get to reduce a complicated book that made me feel deeply uncomfortable to a simple game of checklist bingo. Time to check off the boxes. Sex work. Arguably, it's central to the plot structure, as we discussed earlier. There's sexual assault, numerous examples. There's an orgy, around chapter 32-33. Blasphemy is covered in chapter 18, which is an entire chapter on the existence of God. This would definitely have upset an Irish censor. There's a reference to abortion, extramarital pregnancy, there's infidelity. There are lots of breasts. Many, many references to breasts. Variously described as the usual nubile, round and full. The most memorable pair of breasts Heller described were unavoidable. This particular description, I think, captures his wonderful ability to make perfectly lovely things both silly and creepy. There's implied references to genitalia. Graphic violence is covered by a rape and murder scene towards the end of the book. 
There's plenty of crime from smuggling to violence. There's coarse language, of course, particularly in the use of the phrase Nately's whore. And finally, there's politics. In fact, the whole book is political. With sentences like, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference who wins the war to someone who's dead, making its own anti-war point. Throughout, Heller points out that the usual enemy of a soldier, the other side, is not the real danger to his life. His own colleagues are the ones who get him killed. It's his side that wages the absurd war which is the real danger to his life. This is the most subversive anti-war narrative possible and will always offend nationalists. So the score on censorship bingo for Catch-22 is 13 out of 25. And this is the highest score so far. The only problem for smut seekers is that Catch-22 is not fun to read and the sexual content is not enjoyable. I still can't decide if Heller is a misogynist or criticising misogyny. I didn't much like this book, but it is unforgettable. I'm not surprised it was banned. I may be more surprised that people can read it from beginning to end. The next episode is another book from 1961, the American classic Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates. Hopefully we will continue to increase the censorship bingo tally. Keep a lookout for smut as you read. Bannable content is there if you look hard enough.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 